0: Thanks for listening to Westminster Insider. We'll get started right after this.
1: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync... Things just flow, wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Today's episode is presented by Lloyds Banking Group. Everyone deserves a safe place to call home. That's why Lloyds Banking Group has championed the social housing sector for decades, supporting more than 340 housing associations across the UK.
0: The soul-searching hasn't been easy. Liz Truss wrote a little over a week ago in The Telegraph, breaking her months of silence after her 49-day stint as Prime Minister. The political support I had wasn't
2: enough to achieve the type of bold reforms I was looking to
0: achieve. She's back, and so are we. Back from our season break. In that 4,000-word essay... And then in an interview with friend of the podcast, Katie Balls, Liz Truss said she wanted to share the lessons she'd learned from that unprecedented period of political turmoil. A time most of you will associate with market chaos. The pound fell dramatically. Interest rates spiralling. We will
3: not hesitate to raise interest rates.
0: And a decaying head of lettuce. Why is Britain's prime minister being compared to mm. a lettuce? Our brief former leader is defiant. I think, economically, it was absolutely the right thing to do. Not everyone in her party agrees. Yeah. Do you
2: think that Liz Truss's approach was the right one? Well,
3: clearly it wasn't. We had 4,000 words
4: over the weekends. I, uh, I think it's about 4,000 too many.
0: So, now that the dust has settled and Liz Truss is back, what have the people involved in her administration learned or not learned? What do they think now that they've sat on beaches, trekked up mountains, drowned their sorrows and caught up on sleep? For this week's episode, I've spoken to the people who were with Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng for those chaotic, historic days in British politics. Many of them off the record, and some on the record for the very first time.
5: We actually rushed decisions. Too much was done too quickly.
0: We really could have done with more... Experience in
6: the number 10 and number 11 teams.
4: I know there'll be some people who will blame the so-called proponents of orthodoxy. I don't really have time for that sort of speculation or talk.
0: I've also spoken to Liz Truss's political opponents.
7: What I saw happening in real time was the Tories setting fire to their own economic credibility.
0: And the authors who were writing the book about her premiership.
8: The number 10 war room was a bunch of kids with iPhones doing very little as far as I can tell. It was such
3: a horrible atmosphere to be in. And actually talking to people, I get stressed
8: thinking about what was going on.
0: You might already have an answer to that question of what went wrong for Liz Truss. Some of it, at least, depends on your politics. But the full story of Liz Truss's Downing Street operation, its chaos, its impatience, the decisions that were taken and the hubris of it all, the frustrations and the lessons her own team and her biographers observed, is fascinating. And important. So from Politico, I'm Alva Ray, and this week on Westminster Insider, I'm taking you back to the Truss era. We're replaying those 49 days and asking what are the many lessons we can learn from it? Chevening the grand grace-and-favour mansion of the Foreign Secretary in Kent. A Palladian home set in elegant gardens and acres of land, ideal for strolls in the summer sunshine. Inside, the corridors are lined with antiques, rare artwork by the Grand Masters, and there are documents signed by Oliver Cromwell. This is where Liz Truss, the Prime Minister-elect in all but name, spent the last weeks of summer 2022 preparing for power. Because the
8: length of the leadership election was so long, and actually the result seemed pretty inevitable from about early August, you had obviously a lame duck administration in number 10 not really doing anything, and you had this alternative seat of power being established.
0: Harry Cole is political editor of The Sun and the co-author of Out of the Blue, the inside story of the unexpected rise and rapid fall of Liz Truss.
8: It was quite weird. We went down there to interview Truss one um, one afternoon and it was a bit like sort of wandering into sort of some sort of Regency novel because you had this ginormous, beautiful house and gardens and grounds and there were just all lots of people sort of wandering around and couples and, and, and foursomes, you know, just talking about all the plans they were going to do, um, you know, drinking lots of tea and just sort of wandering around.
0: Here, Truss was hunkered down with top civil servants, advisors and the visiting libertarians who dropped in and out to help her plan her first 100 days, excited that their ideas would finally have their moment in the sun. But cracks were already appearing.
8: It felt to me like um, they were sort of almost there too long and too too many sort of cliques established. and, uh, And by the end of the campaign, I think... There was a bit of bad blood from the people who'd got Truss onto the ballot, her, you know, her special advisor team, some of her long-standing political aides, who had begun to be sort of cast out by Chevening, when actually the civil service machine sort of got their hands on Truss. I remember one person saying that one day they just arrived at Chevening and they walked in to see the, the, the boss and they weren't allowed to, that to book an appointment.
4: So the first time I visited evening was just before the campaign was ending. And I was there to talk with her and the team about the speech that she would hope to give outside number 10, having just become prime minister.
0: Asa Bennett was Liz Truss's speechwriter at the Department of Trade, the Foreign Office and finally, number 10.
4: It became clear Liz had really been thinking about this. We were speaking about how, in effect, you know, she wanted to show that determination to get on with business from the moment of day one. I was tasked with looking up the previous Prime Minister's speeches to see how long they'd spoken. Boris, for some reason, went on for 12 minutes. Liz was keen to, you know, four minutes, five minutes, you know, we we have things to do. Today at six, we're live in Downing Street, where in the past hour, Liz Truss has arrived as the UK's new Prime Minister.
2: I am confident that together we can ride out the storm, we can rebuild our economy, and we can become... The modern, brilliant Britain that I know we can be.
4: There was a real sense that we wanted to channel of, you know, in, in the vibe of Churchill, of action this day. And I, I think we took it up a notch by saying it's not just action this day, but action every day. In the first few days of the premiership, we were having meetings where Mark Fulbrook, as Chief of Staff, was saying to everyone, remember, this is not just going to be a two year premiership. This should and could well be a seven-year premiership because obviously the idea was we would then you know ride on to 2024 win a fresh mandate go on for many more years after that
8: there was really early fatal mistakes in those first 24 hours
0: harry cole again
8: she spent the first you know week you know firing people and ridding people, anyone that's worked for Michael Gove was instantly a no-no on the official level. She started moving departments around the building. She banished the press office into the bowels of the building. just created such bad blood so early on. And if you start literally clearing rooms and saying, that person cannot come back in the room, I once saw them working for Michael Gove, you just create a really bad vibe, as the kids say. I
5: think there's a sense that Every new Prime Minister comes into Number 10 and says, oh, Number 10's too big, Number 10 does too much, we need to get rid of lots of people in Number 10.
0: This is Hugh Bennett, who was a special advisor to Liz Truss in both the Foreign Office and Number 10.
5: Liz came in and and she was clear that she wanted a smaller team working for her that she knew directly. I think having seen it from two different Prime Ministers, I'm I'm not sure I'd necessarily agree with that approach. I think you, you quickly find that if you don't actually have don't have the right structures in place in Number 10, it's actually very hard to get the system to to, to work for you.
0: Truss moved a crucial layer of civil servants from Number 10 to the Cabinet Office, a move privately seen as madness by her own political aides.
5: She chose to sort of subcontract a lot of that policy expertise or move it the policy unit from Number 10 into the Cabinet Office. I think the challenge obviously comes in when obviously there are a huge number of different issues going on in government, you know, from one day to the next. You need to have that layer of sort of specialist technical knowledge and expertise that's actually informing those people to make sure that they can make the right decisions.
0: In her newly shaken and stirred number 10, the first item on Liz Truss's to-do list was to address the soaring cost of energy bills. She'd promised action within the first seven days of her premiership. And you probably remember that she announced a massive package to support every household in the UK. But what hasn't been reported is that the package was originally much more targeted. At the last minute, Trust tore up those plans and decided it should be universal. It added billions to the cost of the package, to the discomfort of some of her advisors in Number 10 and the Treasury. It was definitely against the Treasury's natural instincts. Here's Celia McSwain, special advisor to Kwasi Kwarteng as business secretary and then as chancellor. I caught up with her, where else, But in the corner of every Westminster Tory's favourite drinking establishment, the Blue Boar.
6: Liz and her team had looked at how previous treasury interventions in this space had gone down over the past year and there had always been this feeling that it it wasn't it wasn't enough to stop both the calls in the media and from the public to do more um, because they were very specific and time limited and not everyone benefited from as much support so they were sort of keen to learn from those previous statements and bring out something that was a bit bigger and comprehensive almost something that no one could disagree with in its scope and ambition
0: which is so weird to me because she was then prepared to be unpopular with some other interventions that she brought in I, ge-
6: I genuinely think it was a i've waited a long time to be in this position i know what i think about the economy my fiscal strategy public spending different policy areas that she would worked on she didn't want to be dogged by this issue in the same way that she'd seen Boris and Rishi when he was Chancellor,
2: dogged by it. Mr Speaker, I beg to move the motion. Earlier this week, I promised I would deal with the soaring energy prices faced by families and businesses across the UK.
0: So Liz Truss, the supposedly low tax and spend prime minister, the woman who hates handouts, announced an energy price guarantee that was estimated to cost £150 billion. It cost more than the furlough scheme. In fact, it was over twice the cost. But there was next to no scrutiny about whether this was the right approach because, well, you remember what happened next.
4: A few moments ago, Buckingham Palace announced the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II.
2: The death of Her Majesty the Queen is a huge shock to the nation and to the world.
0: The mourning period of 10 days was to have a strange political effect on this very new Prime Minister. The Sun's political editor, Harry Cole, again.
8: She got a free political hit. On the, on the energy announcement because normal politics was suspended. But had it not been suspended, there would have been a really st- quite stressful weekend of trying to explain how she was gonna pay for it all.
0: I get the impression that this period, touring the UK with the new king, isolated trust from many of her advisors and emboldened her for what came next. Asa Bennett, her speechwriter, again.
4: I mean, just look at what she was saying in her speeches. You know, within days of the period of National Morning ending, She was off the United Nations and she was saying
8: that it was a new era under a new new monarch. Someone said that she came back quite imperial after that. Actually, she got a taste of that bit of the government, of of governing, of being the sort of, you know, the the nation's leader. And I just think the normal lack of, you know, political process and scrutiny in those 10 days made a vacuum where mad things were decided without the normal checks and balances. Uh, And the result, as we saw, was inevitable.
6: My memory of the preparations for the budget were that they were pretty chaotic.
0: Liz Truss had been clear throughout the leadership campaign that she wanted to reverse the national insurance increase and stop the planned increase in corporation tax. And if she wanted to do that, there needed to be some sort of fiscal event. She wanted it within the first couple of weeks of her administration, sparking mild panic among aides about the speed required to deliver it. But the delay caused by the mourning period didn't actually help. Here's Celia McSwain. We all
6: assumed that it would give us more time to prepare for that fiscal event, but actually what happened was Number 10 started to get much more ambitious about what we could put in it. I mean, it got to the point where sort of every day there would be a new request from number 10 for a new policy to be included in the fiscal event. You know, things like investment zones and what should investment zones look like and how would they differ from free ports and maybe we could add something on childcare. Maybe we should do some planning reforms to help accelerate infrastructure. And I remember turning to one of the members of the private office and saying, you know, it." Is it always a bit like this before we do a before we do a budget or a fiscal event? And he was like, you're trying to do in three weeks what we normally do in four or five months, this is real breakneck speed stuff.
0: The scope and speed threw up a couple of really big challenges.
6: What is this fiscal event about? What's the narrative we're gonna put around it? What do we stand for? It was much wider than just we're gonna quickly enact the stuff that the PM have been campaigning on over the summer. No. It became very difficult to actually keep track of what was in the package day-to-day because so much was being added and taken out. You would get a different answer depending on who had been in the latest meeting with the Prime Minister and the Chancellor. And that naturally made it very difficult to properly test and develop the elements of the package ahead of the mini-budget.
0: And another crucial early decision was taken, not to include a forecast from the Office for Budget Responsibility, the OBR. I asked Celia McSwain if she thinks that was a mistake.
6: Yes, I do. It set this narrative that um, we weren't fiscally responsible and we didn't care about the markets and what they needed and all the reassurance that they needed. We were on the back foot in terms of demonstrating fiscal competence from that point on.
0: But whose decision was it?
6: I think we have to assume ultimately that the PM took that decision. She wanted a good news story, a bad forecast from the OBR, would have detracted from the good news items. But in hindsight, actually not having the forecasts caused an even bigger distraction from those good news items, which was the market reaction.
0: And Celia McSwain says Liz Truss was warned to go slower with the mini budget preparations. Quasi was initially keen that we
6: we take a bit more time and work work through everything properly. I think he was um really conscious of the need to um, emphasize fiscal discipline, particularly with the scale of the tax cuts that we were planning to set out um, and that was even more important in the context of not having an OBR forecast um, so he was initially very keen to outline some spending plans alongside the tax cuts because to reassure the markets, you need to be able to show how you're planning to pay for these big uh, drops in the revenue you're, you're planning to get in as the exchequer, right? So he raised that point repeatedly, but unfortunately just lost the battle.
0: Liz Truss was a woman in a hurry with only a few days between the morning period ending and Parliament going on a two-week holiday again for conference recess. Here's Hugh Bennett, one of Liz Truss's special advisers.
5: There was a real desire from, from Liz and others to show that they were still hitting the ground running, that you know, we were getting on with these reforms, a you know, desire that they would actually have a positive economic impact in time for the next election. And so in a really narrow space of time, before party conference uh obviously the mini budget and lots of other you know, fairly fairly big policies were all, were all rushed out the door in that time and there wasn't enough time to really explain to people why we were doing what we were doing why they were the right decisions for the country
8: she was charging around saying i've only got two years i've only got two years and actually i think she was trying to do some sort of two years work in, in six weeks which um again was a political misstep
6: Everyone was just very ambitious. I mean, everyone came in with loads of energy and enthusiasm. These are things that the PM had wanted to do for years, and uh, everyone involved with the campaign was kind of riding high off the campaign win, and there was a real sense of, yeah, now we're in here, we can do things, we can change things. But obviously, with the benefit of hindsight, if you're trying to change the economic course of a country, you can't turn that around overnight and expect everyone to just
0: get on board with it. So the fast-moving, ever-expanding, out-of-control mini-budget was underway. But what was the story behind what would become the most controversial aspect of that mini-budget? The decision to abolish the higher rate of income tax paid by those earning over £150,000 a year. So um, the 45p
6: rate was decided on in that period Um, where the scope was getting wider and wider. I mean, I don't think anyone ever entertained any idea that this would be universally welcome. But in the PM and, and Quasi's mind, this was something they really believed was important for economic growth. They wanted to send a signal internationally that the UK was becoming a more competitive place for tax. And they were going to do it at some point. I think they thought... Well, let's just get it out of the way early and let's use the political capital we have in the honeymoon period with our backbenchers um, that, you know, new prime ministers usually are afforded um, to, to get this through. And then it will pay off in two years and everyone will have kind of forgotten about the nervousness they had around the optics
0: back when it was announced. The 23rd of September, mini budget day. Media staff in Number 10 only saw the mini-budget that morning and immediately feared it would be politically toxic. They knew from polling that they already had an image problem. They were seen as on the side of bankers, not ordinary people. And Truss and Quarting would soon learn that they wouldn't be afforded that honeymoon period from the Tory backbenches.
4: I now call the Chancellor of the Exchequer to make a statement. Chancellor.
2: Thank you, thank you. Thank you,
3: Mr Speaker. And, I
6: was uh, sitting in the official's box in the House of Commons watching Kwasi deliver the mini-budget. Anyone who's, who's worked with a, a minister um, to prep them for a parliamentary appearance will tell you that if the chamber is quiet, that's a really, really bad sign. And um, from the get-go, our backbenches were deathly silent.
3: Today we have cut stamp duty, we have allowed businesses to keep more of their own money to invest, to innovate and to grow. We have cut income tax and national insurance for millions of workers. Some of it we were
7: expecting, for example, she had run on the leadership on not having the national insurance rise.
0: This is Pat McFadden, Shadow Chief Economic Secretary to the Treasury, who was sitting across the chamber from Truss and Quartang on the opposition front bench.
7: It was other things in there that we uh, weren't expecting, most obviously the abolition of the 45p rate. This was supposed to be the great surprise, what do they call it, the rabbit out of the hat, you know. uh, That's what he chose to do.
6: That was the intention. Um, And in hindsight, we got the pitching of that so wrong. Not just because it's a politically contentious measure anyway, but... Generally, when you're trying to announce um, new radical things, you want to actually do it in a very boring way so that people are reassured about the change that's coming. By making it a rabbit, we actually leaned into the fact that it was radical and different and new and diverting from the status quo and almost emphasised the degree to which it was controversial.
7: It was a return to the old idea that all we had to do to get economic growth was unleash the animal spirits, make those who uh, have uh, significant amounts of money even wealthier, and then somehow the rest of us will benefit. This was a return to trickle down, which is not only a bad thing because it's unfair, even though it is unfair, it's also a bad thing because it doesn't work.
0: In the moments after that mini-budget, Pat McFadden dashed to Parliament's central lobby to give the Labour response to the waiting TV and radio crews.
7: Inflation and interest rates were already rising. And what they had decided to do was to inject a huge amount of more money into the economy purely through borrowing for unfunded tax rises. This was an ideological, unforced big news plunge of borrowing really to enact ideas that had been kicking around in right-wing pamphlets for many years.
6: After the budget had happened on the Friday we were we took um quasi down to the two and It's a bit of a tradition um in Westminster that after a big fiscal event all the kind of treasury officials head down to the two chairman pub and have a drink and um you know celebrate the that the fact that the day had the day had gone well and um everyone was sort of drinking and laughing and was sort of very relieved that we'd we'd got to you know we'd got to the place where we'd we got a statement and we got it out. No one was panicking. There was no air of panic. Um but that that came on the Monday.
0: The pound tumbled.
4: I'm just looking at the pounds and it is, it's ticking every second, ticking lower. Amazing today how many MPs I came across who were looking at their phones and looking at graph lines.
2: Financial markets have reacted
0: badly to the Chancellor's announcement, with the pound falling to a fresh 37-year low against the dollar. On the outer fringes of number 10, staff were jittery. Hugh Bennett again.
5: There were warning signs already on on the day of the announcement. Uh, I think uh, some of the measures did take people by surprise. I think there hadn't really been that process of warming up expectations as to what was coming.
0: I've been told Liz Truss was buoyant that evening and gleefully telling those around her, this is only the beginning. Harry Cole again.
8: That weekend, Saturday, Sunday after the mini budget, um, we were doing a lot of work on the book then. Uh, we actually saw her this evening then and she was pretty calm, pretty zen. Um, she sort of, you know, said, this is all ridiculous. We've got one of the lowest uh, debts in the G7. This is just posturing.
0: On the Sunday after the mini-budget, Quasi Kwarteng went on Laura Koonsberg's show and delivered a line that would spook markets further.
3: And there's more to come.
7: That was a really important political signal uh, to uh, the markets.
0: Labour's Pat McFadden.
7: There was going to be more of this, the government was going to double down and so on, and that was an enormously irresponsible thing to do. Uh, so if they were jittery in the first place, I think that comment helped to push them over the edge.
5: Uh, the follow-up over the weekend I don't think really helped uh, help settle anyone down.
8: Uh, if anything, it
5: did did the opposite.
3: It's more, more, more,
8: She was very angry about that. Number 10 made their anger very clear about that, and I think it was part of the reason that she was brought round to firing Kuateng eventually. That was a moment, I think, that she, she blamed him for.
0: Even though that's the sort of thing she was saying privately, was it just that they, she didn't want that to be the public message? Because Well, I think nothing. you
8: can draw a direct line from more to come to the, to, to the opening of the Asian markets on the Monday morning.
0: Now, the British pound has fallen to
6: its lowest level ever. We got into uh, the Treasury really early in the morning and um, Kwasi had called a meeting with of, of all the director generals and the Treasury chief economist. And she sat there and gave this very grim presentation about the market reaction that had happened that morning. That was when mortgage rates had really started to rise. Uh, the pound was obviously still jittery, and we were becoming aware of this um, pension liquidity issue. And uh, there was a sort of hush that descended over the room as everyone kind of took in the full full scale. And she said it, you know, she said it very calmly, um, but we were left in sort of no. Uh, with no doubt that this was a very, very serious situation.
0: While the serious situation unfolded, the lobby and all of the Labour Party had to count to Liverpool for a Labour conference.
7: It was like two sort of parallel universes. We were having, uh, you know, I've been going to Labour conference for many years. I'm not going to sort of be holier than thou here. We've had very rocky Labour conferences over the years. But none of that was happening at Labour conference. We were having this very uh, positive, together, you know, in internal terms, an in internal atmospherics, the best conference that we've had since we left power, I would say, uh, in 2010. But day by day at the conference, externally, you were watching this carnage unfold. And by the time we get to midweek, we've got the IMF coming out, issuing warnings, uh, mortgage rates are really spiking and you've got the Bank of England having to make an intervention uh, to prop up the pension schemes. The world's lender of last resort, the International Monetary Fund, fears the government's plans
4: will backfire. In a statement it said developments in the UK would be closely monitored and untargeted fiscal packages were not recommended at a time of high inflation. The Bank of England announced today it will buy unlimited quantities of government
7: bonds at a, quote, urgent pace. What I saw happening in real time was the Tories setting fire to their own economic credibility. That all this rhetoric through the years, we're the party of sound money, we might not have the biggest hearts in the world, but we know how to run things and we can be trusted with the public finances. They just took a sledgehammer to the whole thing.
0: Meanwhile, back in Westminster, Celia McSwain was reaching out to Tory MPs who had scattered all across the country for conference recess.
6: It became increasingly clear that the party was in a really, really bad place. Um, We were speaking to MPs from all sides of the party and the feedback was the same. Abolishing uh, the 45p rate of income tax um, was proving so toxic on the doorstep. I mean, none of the other tax cuts had had cut through and people were just saying, at the time of a cost-of-living crisis, what this government has decided to do is prioritise tax breaks for very wealthy people. So the party was in a very, very mutinous place by the time that we arrived at conference.
0: Asa Bennett visited Truss in the Downing Street flat on the Saturday before Tory conference to go through the draft of her big conference speech.
4: I think it was clear that the mini-budget was still sort of... The fallout was hanging around in the background, but then you know, it wasn't, it wasn't sort of dominating. It was more just that... It was like a sort of buzzing mosquito in the room, effectively.
0: Liz Truss was clear at that point that the controversial 45p rate was staying. And as luck would have it, that very weekend, she was gathering all of her party, her critics, her angry MPs, together in the same hotels and bars and conference centre, under the glare of the media.
4: Once we got into conference season, the crucial days and the run-up to it, I had senior colleagues when discussing a speech, expressing their reservations about the 45p section she'd be saying. Um... Asking, you know, did it have to be so on the nose? Um, Is there a way of, you know, sandpapering the section so it didn't sort of put people's backs up so much because they'd had MPs expressing concern to them in turn? And so I was trying to soften it preemptively.
0: It sounds like you were seeing her really regularly at conference. The speech was on the last day. You must have seen the flip, I suppose, from feeling quite confident about her agenda to realizing that they would need to make this u-turn
4: so i could definitely say that the u-turn happened on monday night of the conference and i i had a meeting with her about 4 p.m that afternoon and the 45p section which was going to make clear that she was still going ahead with abolishing it it was still there in the speech
0: we will abolish the 45p rate of income tax which was bringing very little money into the exchequer the speech read at 4 p.m that day I'm not prepared to keep a tax just for the sake of virtue signalling. A few short hours later, it would be changed.
4: She was talking to MPs with concerns about the trustonomic package. They were, you know, shuffling up to her room um, to have meetings with her. Um, And so many of them were coming on side. They were coming around with the arguments uh, that were being put. But clearly it wasn't good enough.
0: Meanwhile, over at Quasi Quarting's suite... It felt a bit like a a student uh, room in the middle of an
6: essay crisis because, you know, you had all these really tired, haggard advisors that had been working, like running on caffeine and adrenaline for three weeks, um, sitting around the table trying to finalise the speech whilst also, um, you know, dialing into calls to check the state of the market stale sandwiches that had just been sort of brought up throughout the day to keep us all going in the corner. And then one by one, we'd kind of invite a few MPs up at a time to um, give feedback to the Chancellor, basically. And so these MPs would kind of be brought in one by one to give this kind of terminal diagnosis to the um, 45p rate. So, you know, by the end of the day, I think the decision was taken about 9pm. um Uh, Kwasi went to go and see the PM who'd asked him for a meeting and, you know, it was was clear to both of them that it wasn't going to hold
0: The U-turn on the 45p rate broke from Harry Cole in the early hours of the morning rippling through the bars of Birmingham before Liz Truss had even had the chance to tell the Cabinet herself
3: I know the plan put forward only 10 uh, days ago has caused a little turbulence I get it I get it.
2: The fact is that the abolition of the 45p tax rate became a distraction from the major parts of our growth plan. That is why we're no longer proceeding with it. I get it, and I have listened.
0: You can relive every twist and turn of those crazy days in my diary episode from that conference. The main takeaway was that Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng both survived, but discipline had collapsed. To her critics, it was clear that Liz Truss's days as Prime Minister were numbered. Labour's Pat McFadden.
7: Keir Starmer came to my constituency and we went to a mortgage broker in the High Street in Bilston and we met with people and these people were sitting there telling us our bills are going to go up by hundreds of pounds per month. And they were really frightened by it.
0: Back in Westminster, this is when things took a turn for the even worse. Liz Truss and her closest aides received warnings that there was a black hole in the public finances of £72 billion and that the UK economy was at risk of becoming like a third world country, unable to sell its debt. Downing Street went into a tailspin. They urgently needed to act to avoid a market meltdown.
8: Someone described it as proper rubble, you know, doom, gloom, you know, the worst-case scenarios played up.
0: Harry Cole again.
8: I think she did think a load of it was bullshit. I think she, I think in her heart of hearts, she said she could tell what they were doing, but she also had to be, you know, her her personal fate had to come second to the fate of the country. And if you've got the treasury and the bank and the Cabinet Office all saying, this is going to be an absolute wipeout of a scale that's going to make 2008 look like a picnic. Whether you believe it or not, you've got to act on it.
0: At that point, within number 10, did you feel like you had collectively made a mistake? What do you mean? Here's Asa Bennett, trusted speechwriter. With the handling of the mini budget, with markets crashing, was there much reflection?
4: I'm afraid I'm going to have to sort of swerve that. Sorry, because um, we were I we, we think for the simple reason that we we weren't really going to be sitting there having sort of introspective discussions on strategy when it's like right, okay, what's happening next?
0: Kwasi Kwarteng, meanwhile, was in Washington at the IMF. He and his team woke up to headlines that Number Ten was considering a U-turn on their corporation tax policy. We were completely blindsided. This was the first that we'd heard of it.
8: If you had to
4: U-turn on a major part of your mini-budget, would you have to consider your position as Chancellor?
3: I'm totally focused on the growth agenda.
0: This had been a key leadership pledge from Liz Truss, and U-turning on it after the U-turn on the 45p rate would look like an admission of defeat for Trussonomics. Celia McSwain, Quasi-Quarteng's special advisor.
6: Then there was a discussion about whether should come back to the UK because we needed to have a more serious and detailed discussion over what a U-turn would look to look like and should should we go ahead with it. My advice to him when we were in Washington was that he should stay and not come back early primarily because if you say that the Chancellor is leaving international meetings early, to come back to deal with something urgent it gives the impression that the government is panicking it would also start a panic spiral over his position um, we've all seen you know we're all students of politics we've all seen a flight tracker situation happen there are only two flights going out of washington by the time we start having these conversations it would be pretty clear once we rung up the journalist that we plan to have drinks and dinner with and breakfast that He's going, he's going back home. They would all find out what flight he was on and then it would start a narrative about is the Prime Minister bringing him back to sack him? Um, so these were all good reasons for him to stay in Washington. Um, unfortunately, I didn't win that argument.
8: An airport dash for a Chancellor under pressure. Kwasi Kwateng's car disappeared into the Washington night after an embassy event and a hastily rearranged early departure.
6: We could actually hear the, I think it was the Sky News helicopter, we could hear it actually from the plane uh, circling the kind of landing strip. He knew he was going to be sacked when we were sat in the back of the car, driving from Heathrow to Downing Street. And I just remember seeing a, a tweet from the Times political editor saying that he understood that Quazi was going to be sacked. And I just passed him the phone and he, he took a minute to take it in um, and just sort of said, well that's that then
0: coming up after the break
8: and she said to Kuateng they're already
5: coming for me quasi the mood obviously wasn't great within number 10 for those few days and now
3: it is literally just about survival
0: stay with us
1: A message from Lloyd's Banking Group. Lloyd's Banking Group has championed social housing for decades. It provides finance, expertise, and guidance to more than 340 housing associations across the UK. These range from small local associations of several hundred homes to much larger regional associations responsible for tens of thousands of properties. Each has an important role to play in their community to help people find a safe place to call home. Improving access to quality and affordable homes is central to Lloyds Banking Group's commitment to helping Britain prosper. That's why Lloyds Banking Group is calling for one million more homes to be made available for social rent over the next decade.
0: Liz Truss had now lost her friend and one of her closest political allies, the person with whom she'd written books, plotted, shared a vision.
8: I think she did accept that, you know, she was in real trouble when she she bulleted Kuateng because he said to her, you know, if you fire me, then, you know, you're next, you're next in the final end. I can stay, let me be your, you know, your fire guard, so to speak. They're, you know, they're, they're going to come for you next. And she said to, to Kuateng, you know... They're already coming for me, quasi.
3: That 24 hours is most extraordinary.
0: This is James Heal from The Spectator, co-author of Out of the Blue.
3: You come in in August and there was a sense of, we're going to do the stuff that Cameron May Johnson weren't able to do or unwilling to do, and now it is literally just about survival. And it's like, yeah, get Jeremy Hunt in. Get someone who's a stable, staid, centrist figure in.
1: Jeremy Hunt has been appointed as the UK's new chancellor. Chancellor
3: of the Exchequer Jeremy Hunt ripped up what was left of Prime Minister Liz Truss's controversial economic programme. After Jeremy Hunt, the new chancellor, made his statement today, she doesn't
8: have the policies or the agenda or the authority that a prime minister requires. They have gone. She is not in power. Once you have torn up her agenda, you know, it only takes a matter of time to realise Actually, what is, what, what is the point of Liz Truss's administration without the tax cuts and the deregulation? What is the point of being Prime Minister if you can't actually do anything and you basically have to be Jeremy Hunt's frontman.
0: Liz Truss looked on as Jeremy Hunt, her new Chancellor, binned her agenda.
3: This is a wave of U-turns, unprecedented in scale and speed. Do you feel humiliated?
2: I feel, first of all, that I did make mistakes and I... have I've been upfront and honest about that.
5: It won't come as a surprise to learn that the mood obviously wasn't great within number 10 for those few days.
0: Hugh Bennett again.
5: Obviously, we, we pulled together, we got a, you know, there was a big team organised to try and make sure that we could stabilise everything, settle everything down. Uh, but it's always going to be difficult when you've you turned on one of your major budget measures, you've lost your Chancellor.
0: Downing Street was in crisis by this point. Senior staff were running around like headless chickens, as one observer puts it.
3: It was such a horrible atmosphere to be in. And actually talking to people, I get stressed thinking about what was going on. James Heal. Any sense of a golden era of Thatcherism had certainly gone. There were were constant briefings to the Sunday Times about who was really running the show. Um, SPAD meetings on a Friday would, would regularly leak out comms are blaming policy, policy blaming comms. It was at this point that it really wasn't going to last very much longer.
0: Things were so bad at this point that some familiar names got in touch to offer advice.
8: Theresa May obviously knows a thing or two about being up the creek and how, 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 how bad that can be. She was even advising her on sort of fashion sense by the end, saying wear more sort of power suits rather than these sort of dresses. You had Boris Johnson right when the things were going to the creek, sort of texting from his sunbed somewhere across the world to uh, just to make sure that they hadn't forgotten about Paul Dacre's peerage, which um, went down pretty badly at the time, given that they were trying to keep the, the whole building from falling over.
0: A war room was established in the pillared room in Number 10. MPs like Brandon Lewis and Jake Berry were brought in to help. It was like the last days of Boris, except it was her first month, is how one person dryly puts it. One person involved tells me it was the first time everyone started to communicate. A team pulled together, engaging MPs, meeting twice a day to chart progress. But Harry Cole is more sceptical.
8: The number 10 war room, as far as I can tell, was, was nonsense. Like, it was, some, it was a load of spads from other government departments who sort of came in worried about what they were going to do. It made them feel like they were involved, and actually it was a bunch of kids with, with iPhones doing very little, as far as I can tell, um, when actually the, the, the core decisions were being made in, a, in, in the flat, in the prime minister's office.
0: Liz Truss woke up on Wednesday the 19th of October, probably not realising it would be the day it all fell apart. In the morning, she had to suspend a top aide over an aggressive briefing to the Sunday papers about Sajid Javid. Next up, PMQs. A book is being
3: written about the Prime Minister's time in office. (laughs) Apparently it's going to be out by Christmas. Is that the release date or the title?
0: (laughs) No sooner had she escaped that bear pit than Suella Braverman, her Home Secretary, resigned. It was over a breach of the Ministerial Code, but Braverman issued a brutal resignation letter with it.
4: Writing... Pretending we haven't made mistakes, carrying on as if everyone can't see that we have made them, and hoping that things will magically come right is not serious politics.
0: Even the advisors who thought they were steadying the ship, that Liz Truss might make it until Christmas, knew it was over then. But some of the chaos was yet to come, because Labour had cleverly used an opposition day debate to force a vote on fracking. A wedge issue for the already warring Tories. Pat McFadden again.
7: Well, I've got to hand it to our Whip's office for finding a motion that would cause division inside the Conservative Party.
4: At least one member was physically pulled through the door into the voting lobby.
7: Is the Chief Whip, Mendy Morton, still in post? Um, I'm not entirely clear on what the situation is with the Chief Whip. an overall atmosphere of meltdown on the Tory side uh, that day and that evening. that it, The wheels were just coming off and it was all falling apart.
3: I think it's a shambles and a disgrace. I think it is utterly appalling.
0: It was, as one of Truss's former aides puts it, just a basic example of how we were incapable of performing the basic functions of government by that point.
8: What on earth is going on in the Conservative Party?
0: That night, Liz Truss told some aides she was going to go. But some staff had abandoned ship and gone to the pub long before. Did you stay to the bitter end? Or were you one of the ones who, who went to the pub? <laughs> <laughs>
5: no, I think we all, all needed a pint after those few days.
2: Given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party.
0: A hundred and something days later... Liz Truss and her inner circle have had a lot of time to reflect.
5: A lot of things weren't done right during the Liz period.
0: Here's Hugh Bennett, one of Liz Truss's special advisers.
5: When you look at what the party wanted at the time, it was, it was very much her vision. And I think, in a sense, it's almost that vision which ironically perhaps meant that uh, you know we actually rushed decisions. Things, reforms were done almost too quickly in an attempt to get as much stuff out of the door as possible. She
4: didn't bring her party in the markets and everyone with her.
0: Here's Truss's speechwriter, Asa Bennett.
4: She felt then the stakes were so high that there was no time to dither or delay. She no doubt would have felt that she only had two years to try and to turn the economy around, to get it back and growing. But then for it all to go off the rails like this, it, it just underlines the tragedy for her and every member of the team um, to then have seen the potential go to waste like that. But then I suppose she, she would say that... Due to the circumstances, she never got to properly try her programme.
6: So we should have published OBR forecasts alongside the mini-budget, even if that had meant delaying it.
0: And here's Celia McSwain, quasi Kwarteng's advisor from the Treasury. I
6: do think we should have delayed it. I think we should have worked on it for longer. I think we should have outlined some spending cuts alongside. We should have been honest with... MPs in the public that you can't have tax cuts for free. You can't borrow your way out of these sorts of things. You know, as Conservatives, we understand that we have to be responsible with the public finances.
0: Liz Truss's hastily reorganised number 10 was plagued with problems of people not knowing what was going on and finding things out at the last minute. Her Downing Street operation was chaos. And this dysfunction was exacerbated by an inexperienced team who basically all hated each other. Harry Cole.
8: And you just had too many different factions and too many bits trying to do too many different things. The teams you had around her were not up to the job.
0: James Heal from The Spectator.
3: There, there were so many issues, unfortunately, going on. There were so many fingers you can, you can sort of point and blame. And it's almost sort of like disentangling... A ball of wool or something, like, where do you, where do you sort of start? Uh, but we, we, we were struck, we were sort of horrified, but couldn't look away and just had to keep on writing.
6: As an administration, it was very chaotic to work within. It tried to do too much too fast. We really could have done with more experience in the number 10 and number 11 teams. We were really hoping that we would get in there and we would have a bit of time to recruit someone Who could give Kwasi the economic advice that he needed? We definitely could have done with a a senior economist in that team. The set of circumstances that we were dealing with were extraordinary, and quite a lot of the number ten and number eleven teams had never been in number ten and number eleven before. We were learning on the job, and really in that sort of environment, you need someone who's served in you know senior levels of government for you know. 5, 10, 15 years, you need someone to turn to when the shit hits the bat.
0: So there were problems with the Downing Street team and setup, the comms, the rush. But ultimately, Aid seemed to agree the problem was her, Liz Truss, her impatience, her drive, her unwillingness to be challenged or stopped. It drove... Every decision.
4: I know there'll be some people who will blame the sort of so-called proponents of orthodoxy. um, And there's a theory during the rounds about whether you know the Bank of England and the Treasury and all that sort of were in cahoots about this and the other. I I don't really have time for that sort of speculation or talk. When you're prime minister, you know you have to take responsibility for your actions, the government you're presiding over. You you have the final say on what's happening in the budget that you've worked very closely with your chancellor on. And I think she knows this.
0: She didn't invite challenge. She didn't know what she didn't know. It wouldn't have made a difference if I'd been in the room. She wasn't willing to listen. These are the things I've been hearing again and again. Liz Truss's bullheadedness made her. And it broke her. The advisors you've heard from all believe that there's a possible world in which a low-tax agenda is working. They had their issues with exact policy decisions, timing, speeds, communication, the leader even, but they believe in the underlying project. For others, though, this was a case of bad politics. Here's Labour's Pat McFadden.
7: This wasn't a comms problem, it was a policy problem. The big wrong decisions here were to spend 10 years writing about this in pamphlets, get into government, trash the economic institutions, Uh, do a load of borrowing, not for investment, uh, but to do this to fund tax cuts forever in a day, it was hugely irresponsible. And the sad thing is people are still paying for that in their mortgage rates. And the Tory party has to take responsibility for that because it was done by their own hand.
0: So what's happened to those people who were in Liz Truss's number 10? Well, as soon as it ended, some of them jetted off to Chief of Staff Mark Fulbrook's villa on the Caribbean island of St Lucia to nurse their wounds in style, leaving the destruction far behind them. Months on, some have new jobs outside politics, some have gone travelling or are studying, others are still spending their severance pay, catching up on sleep, weighing up their next move. Some might be among the next generation of MPs, And who knows, some may or may not be holding out to become a baroness or a lord in Liz Truss's resignation honours. They all had their part to play in a remarkable period of history. And they're all coming to terms with what that means. There's so many people feeling quite angry about that whole period, people who've seen their mortgages go up. How do you feel about that, your involvement it's not
6: comfortable, um, but no one, no one should be in any doubt that anyone that worked in Number 10 or Number 11 in that time doesn't feel that responsibility on them. We were all working in that building and decisions were made and, you know, there was a fallout from that. <clears throat>
0: Thanks for listening to Westminster Insider with me, Alva Ray. If you've enjoyed it, please spread the word, follow us and maybe leave us a nice review. And don't forget you can go back and listen to past episodes including my diary of Liz Truss's first and only Conservative Party Conference. My producer was James Tyndale of Whistledown Productions and here at Politico, my executive producer is Christina Gonzalez and my editor is Jack Blanchard. There we have it. It looks like the lettuce outlasted the prime minister it did we'll be back next week see you then
1: planning for your next trip elevate your travel style
6: with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european
1: linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more